weekend. Got two mementos to show off this morning, of course. I got my Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure t-shirt because of the third installment, which was just released in theaters. It's great to see Keanu Reeves still trying to be cool, um, even after all these years. Also, drinking from what I call the Maggie Mug. It's a mug our second oldest Maggie made at Seaside many, many, many moons ago. And so, uh, breaking that out of uh, storage to represent this morning. Hey, we're in Revelation 15 as we make our journey through this book. I'm going to read Revelation 15. It's a short chapter. It's eight verses. Um, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in this morning. Glad you're with us. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Lord, as we come to the dawn of a new week, we are still in need of the same mercy and grace and glorifying presence that only you can give us. And so, Lord, open our eyes to your word this morning that we might see more of you and, and seeing more of you, beholding your glory, that we would be changed. Lord, we ask these things in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we come in Revelation 15, and we're to the last series of visions or judgments. And um, they, they've been coming in sevens, right? Seven seals, then seven trumpets. And now we're getting to seven bowls. And each of these seven uh, series of revelations are, are giving us a picture of the history of redemption. And they're emphasizing a particular aspect of of what happens um, before the return of Christ and whether it's the saints being persecuted or um, the saints being protected or Satan unleashed to do his bidding with God's people all these things are are meant to describe um, what happens between the first and second comings of Christ well now we get to the last of these signs and Chapter 15 is sort of a preparation. If you can imagine stage actors in uh, the back of the auditorium or the back of the stadium, they're getting ready to go on stage and they're preparing, they're getting their costumes ready. They're, they're, they're going over their lines. This is kind of the sense of Revelation 15. This is the preparation for 
these last series of judgments, the, the bowls, the bowls of wrath. And what's interesting about these bowls, let's go back to Revelation 4 and 5 for a second. We remember God's people are gathered around his throne. And it says that God, the, peop, the prayers of God's people, you know, from, from, from the beginning all the way back from, from Abraham to the time when Christ will return, God's people have been praying. They've been praying God's kingdom would come. They would be praying that God would rectify, rectify things that are right. We've been praying for the salvation of souls and peace in the world and peace in our homes and confessing our sins. Just think about the enormous amount of prayers prayed in the history of the church by God's people. Well, Revelation 4 tells us that Jesus has been collecting all of those prayers in the in a bowl metaphorically and here he stands at the end of time ready to pour out all those prayers to answer them to fulfill them to um, to bring them to fruition and here in this particular vision he wants to show us how part of the answer to the prayers of God's people is the just wrath of God being poured out on the unrighteous. Now, we're going to have plenty of time in the next several days to talk about wrath, but I want to kind of, if we can, if we can do this, sort of go upstream a little bit so we can better understand why it is, particularly for us in our day and age, where wrath is not a palpable, it's not very palpable, it's not an attribute of God that we find tasteful. Um, even for those of us who affirm the wrath of God as a revelation of his character, are sometimes embarrassed by it, where sometimes we, we apologize for it. Um, and this is not to mention just the culture at large and even even among many progressive Christians where wrath is just downright distasteful. And so what I want to do is I want to try to go upstream a little bit to try to understand um, why it is that we find it distasteful, but also to look from this passage to help us understand what is at the root, um, not just of God's wrath, but of all the attributes of God. And so the way I think about this, um, you've heard me use talk about this show before, but we, we watch sometimes um, the reality show alone where these men and women are stuck out in the middle of the wilderness and told to survive on their own in isolation for as long as they can. And the last one standing wins the half a million dollars. Well, in one particular episode, a man is desperately contested is trying to find drinking water. And he, he finds what he believes is a pure stream of drinking water and he goes through all these stringent um, uh, procedures to make sure the water is disinfected. He's filtering it through this special moss, and he's—I mean, it's—it's it's it's quite an elaborate sort of procedure. But he gets sick nonetheless, and when he's finally having to be airlifted from from the wilderness, they they do a, a backstory where they where they trace the origin of this water and what they realize it was coming from a contaminated source that no matter what this guy did to the water it was always going to be contaminated and I think that's the nature of this doctrine of the of the wrath of God that even though we might recite passages about it and show convincing proofs from scripture 
we haven't gone upstream far enough into the character of God to fully understand how this functions in the life of God. But this chapter helps us to do that. And I think we find um, part of the key here uh, in verse 4 when it says, Who will not fear, O God, and glorify your name? Now listen, for you alone are holy. And we'll go back down to verse 7. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of the God who lives forever, forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And I think what we find when we go the way all the way upstream um, to, the, to the very essence of God, the very character of God, what we find here, of course, is his holiness, his otherness. Um, now, it would be wrong to divide God up into um, multiple parts um, and say that he's part justice, part wrath, part righteous, part love, and part grace. He, he's 100% all of those things. But if you could put the totality of the essence of God all under one roof, all under one attribute, it would have to be the fact that he is holy, that he is other, that he is different, that he is set apart, that he dwells in unapproachable light, that um, he is, is full of, of, of the essence of what it means to be pure and holy and righteous and separate from us. It's interesting to me that every time we have a throne room scene um, in heaven, it's always the holiness of God um, that's being um, highlighted or extenuated. It seems to be the case in Revelation 4 and 5. It's the case in Revelation 15. We see it in so many other parts of Scripture. Um, Isaiah 6, for example, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the only attribute of God um, that is thrice repeated about God. And, and here, when we get a glimpse of God's holiness, what we see is the ground and the roots of all reality, right? Here we have God um, holy in his throne. And, and the picture here in verse 2 is that the people of God are gathered around him, around this sea of glass. And it's meant to communicate to us, this is the place of perfect peace. This is the place where everything is right. This is the place where God's otherness, his holiness his being distinct from us gives us as the believer our greatest sense of comfort and tranquility and, and, and joy and peace because we can trust the glorious holy God um, in all that he does because all that he does is right. He can't do anything wrong. He can't be anything wrong. He is who he is. And then we have this scene of the smoke lifting up from the um, from from around the throne, and it's meant to elicit that picture of Mount Sinai, where Moses goes up and receives the law, and he he he's flat on his face because the holiness of God is such an ever pervasive, powerful presence revealing him, itself to him. And so, I think for us as believers, when we go upstream. And we see that the very essence of God is that he is holy and that there is none like him and that he is set apart. Then all his other attributes, whether it's love or wrath or justice or righteousness, grace, forgiveness, 
all of them sort of um, coalesce together to help us fully understand better, okay, who God is. Of course, we're going to spend eternity um, discovering more and more who God is every single day that we are that we are there. But I think for for us today, we walk away from this text as God is preparing to go out on stage to display his wrath to the nations in response to the answers of the prayers of his people, that these flow from the very essence of who he is as God and that he is holy and that ultimately all of our hope, all of our peace, all of our joy, all of our all of our prayers are rooted in the fact that God is, is above us, he's transcendent, um, he is not like us, and that because of that, we can fully and completely trust him to do what is right, even when it means the display of his wrath, when we don't always understand it. So, Four Oaks, pray today that God will open your eyes to his holiness. Lord, we, we need that. We need a fresh glimpse today of your glory. We want you to be the center of our heart, mind, thoughts, and attention. And we pray now, Father, that you would direct us to your holiness. Our gaze. We would gaze upon your beauty. And Lord, that we would order all of our life and, and make sense of everything in our life and in the world in relationship to your holiness. Lord, we ask these things in your Son's name, Jesus Christ.